Welcome to our first evening of Table Talk. Most of you are familiar with 59 Minutes, which we've done probably for a couple of years at this point. And that was aimed at people who don't normally come to church. But I think you're probably aware, if you've been coming, that 59 Minutes seem to have run its course in that regard. And so we'll be coming up with different ways to do what 59 Minutes was trying to do. But this monthly slot, the second Sunday of every month in the evening, is now going to be aimed mainly at us as a church family, hopefully accessible for everybody. But we could think of this as a time for family discussion on these nights. And we're going to begin in our first three table talks by focusing on what we are about as a church. If someone said to you, I know you're a Christian, and I know you go to church, but what is your church about? What is your church committed to? I wonder how you'd answer that. Well, in in the next three months, we want to try and answer that question. That's today then the second Sunday in January, and the second Sunday in February. Those of you who are at the 40th anniversary will know the outline of what I'm about to say in these three months, at least the three titles. We tried to sum it up in three words, faithfulness, care, and growth. If we had to give a three-word explanation of our church and what our commitment and our priorities are, that would be it. Faithfulness, care, and growth. And you may remember from the 40th that I used this diagram to try and explain it a bit more. We started with faithfulness, which is specifically faithfulness to God's word. That was number one. And then care, specifically care for one another. The third one was growth by making disciples. If you're wondering where prayer comes in, a prayer could be represented as a circle that really goes around all of it. Prayer is like oxygen for all of this. Now, whenever I showed this before, I said that the order is important in these. There's a reason growth by making disciples doesn't come first. And faithfulness to God's word does come first. And to try and explain why that is, I want to introduce you to the problem of Annie and Clarabel. If you don't know Annie and Clarabel, there they are. And you might not have noticed that Annie and Clarabel had any problems. They look happy enough. But they do have one major problem. The problem is that without Thomas, they're never going to get where they need to get to. So Annie and Clarabel are important. Passengers can get around, so parcels can be delivered, all of that. But by themselves, they will, they will either get nowhere, or if they're left sitting on a hill, they'll just roll in the direction of the slope. Then you have a runaway Annie and Clarabel. And what I want to suggest to you is that while care for one another and growth by making disciples are important, While those are core components of what we're trying to do as a church, they need to flow out of our first commitment, which is faithfulness to God's word. 
If we start with a commitment to growth by making disciples, if that is the first thing for us, then we end up with pragmatism. Now, pragmatism is making decisions based on the immediate consequences rather than making decisions based on convictions. Many of our politicians are pragmatists. They do whatever they think is going to work in the short term. They're not guided by any deeply held beliefs. Some of them are, but not very many. Pragmatism says, if something looks like it'll work and get results, then that's what we're going to do. And on the other hand, if something doesn't look like it's going to work, and if it doesn't produce quick results when we try it, then forget it. If we make mission our first principle, then we will tend to do whatever we think is going to attract the most people and get the most people to join us. And that means we will probably, not definitely, but we will probably avoid certain topics. Because pragmatism will tell us there's just some stuff in the Bible you should stay away from. For example, don't talk about hell. That'll just turn people away. Pragmatism says don't talk about God's wrath. Don't talk about the boundaries God has set for the way we use sex and a bunch of other things. That will just make people uncomfortable. It will turn them off. And so less people then will come and listen to your message about Jesus. So pragmatism says, just don't talk about the unpalatable stuff. You don't have to deny it, just keep quiet about it. But funnily enough, if we take out anything that's potentially offensive in Christianity, we make Christianity so bland, no one would be interested in it. And you can see evidence of that in the liberal denominations in our country. Most of their churches are either dying or they're already shut. Those churches abandoned most of the Bible so that they wouldn't offend people. And they ended up with nothing left to offer people except tea and cakes. And you can get those at Tesco. You don't need to go to church for those things. Well, then what happens if we make care for one another our first principle? we end up being inward-looking. There's more than enough care needed here to take up all of our attention. If care for one another is our first principle as a church, then growth by making disciples is just never going to happen. Not only is there a great need for care here in the fellowship, it's also less intimidating to care for a brother or sister than to go out in search of lost sheep. Especially since lost sheep are often happy being lost. They don't want to be found. And it's true as well, when we make care our first priority, we can become so concerned to build others up that we end up just ignoring their sin. We don't want to offend them or discourage them. And so church discipline is not likely to ever happen. 
care for one another, and growth by making disciples are just like Annie and Clarabelle. They need to be pulled along or shunted along by something else. In their case, it's Thomas. In our case, that thing is faithfulness to God's word. Because if we are truly committed to being faithful to God's word, then we will unavoidably also be committed to caring for one another and growth by making disciples. The more seriously we take God's word, the more it's going to drive us to pursue those other things as well. If we get number one in place, numbers two and three are going to move along too. So what I want to do now is think about what we mean by faithfulness to God's word. What does it mean for us as a church here to be faithful to God's word? I would guess almost every church would say, if you ask them, we are committed to being faithful to God's word. But in practice, many of them aren't. God's word in many churches is just in the background. It's like the title deeds of a house. It's there, but it's not really driving the church along. So how do we make sure this commitment is not just theory for us? Well, here's what I think it looks like for us as a church. First, and there are going to be three of these. First, it it means a commitment to what we call expositional preaching or expository preaching. Now, that sounds complicated, but it's not. Expository comes from the word expose. So expository preaching means taking a passage of scripture and trying to expose or uncover the meaning of that passage of scripture. And this kind of preaching is described for us in the Bible. In the book of Nehemiah, we're told the Levites did this for the Israelites. Nehemiah 8 says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Now, in that context, there may also have been a need for translation from one language to another. That's possible. But still, the basic approach of the Levites is what we try to do in this church. We read from God's word, then we try to help everyone understand it, and then apply it to their own lives. And as I explain that, you will be aware, I'm sure, that there are other ways of preaching. We could take a topic or a question. We could start with that and try to pull together what the Bible says about it. And that may be the approach we end up taking at these table talk nights. So, for example, we might take marriage as our topic one time, or prayer, or angels. There are an infinite number of topics you could choose. And obviously, since that's what I'm doing this evening, I agree that there is a place for that. But why don't we do it like that all the time? Why do we spend almost every Sunday morning and Sunday evening looking at one passage of Scripture and trying to understand it? Not coming to the Bible with our own questions but letting the Bible set the agenda for us. Why do we do that? 
And why do we do it for seven out of eight services every month? Well, let me give you three reasons. It makes sure we don't miss out on any part of God's Word. If we preach through the Bible and listen through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, then all of God's Word is being exposed to us. And we don't miss out on any of what God wants to say to us. That's important because all of Scripture is His Word to us. This is how Paul puts it. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now the interesting thing is, Paul would mainly have had the Old Testament in mind when he wrote those words. The New Testament was still being written at that point. So that means books like Numbers, and Leviticus, and Ezekiel, and 1 Samuel are useful for us. If we don't have those books exposed to us, then we miss out on part of God's word to us. We are not as thoroughly equipped as we could be. We miss out on stuff God put there to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us. That's what Paul's saying. Well then, second... Expository preaching, trying to expose a passage of Scripture, make sure we hear most often about the things God's Word talks about most often. For example, if I was a topical preacher week by week, I really don't know how often I would preach on the topic of God's judgment. By choice, I might manage one sermon on it. Who would choose to preach on judgment when you could preach on joy and forgiveness and ten steps to personal fulfillment? But when we're committed to going through the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter, God's judgment comes up actually surprisingly often in the Bible. So expository preaching means the things Scripture emphasizes end up getting emphasized in our preaching and in our listening. That is a major part of being faithful to God's Word. It means focusing most on the things Scripture focuses on most. Now, all of us, I think, love how-to sermons, how to be a good parent, how to use your money well, how to win X Factor, And scripture does deal with those kind of things. Not the X factor, but the parenting and the money. It does deal with them, but not all that much. You probably realize that. The Bible is much more concerned about God's greatness and God's character and our relationship to this God. Expository preaching shows us that. Over time, we get a sense of what God himself cares about most. Of course, we might not care so much about the things God cares about. We might prefer the Bible to be a how-to manual. 
But God gave us the Bible not to tell us what we'd like to hear, but to tell us what we need to hear. Having the Bible exposed to us chapter by chapter helps us to see things from God's perspective. It helps us to get hold of God's priorities. And expository preaching also keeps us focused on Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, when preaching focuses on topics that you and I are interested in, Jesus tends to get minimized. A sermon on how to use your money well probably isn't going to focus on Jesus. But we know that ultimately all scripture is about Jesus, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. So even as we go through obscure parts of the Bible, we are going to be pointed again and again to Jesus. And Jesus himself was convinced about that. In Luke's gospel, we're told about a conversation Jesus had with two disciples. And we're told this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's Moses is the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Expository preaching from all the scriptures will keep bringing us back to Jesus. And it will do it in a way that preaching about our favorite topics probably isn't going to do. And the added bonus here is expository preaching should keep the preacher from hammering away at his four or five favorite topics or doctrines. All of us have a tendency to fall into ruts. And that's doubly likely when we do topical preaching. Expository preaching helps to safeguard against that. And then third, expository preaching tends to be easier for unchurched people to follow. Now I realize that might not sound right to you at first. But think about it. Topical preaching tends to jump around the Bible. A verse from one passage here, a verse from another passage over there, a bit like what I'm doing tonight. But that can be overwhelming for someone who's not familiar with the Bible. It's much easier if we work our way through one passage and they can follow along. And I was quite shocked recently to find this point being made by a pastor who actually has very little in common with how we do things here. His church is considered highly seeker-sensitive. I don't know if you've heard that word. Seeker-sensitive churches mean, it means that the services are geared almost exclusively towards outsiders rather than towards Christians. So, for example, in this church, the man who wrote this book in his church, the musicians play Beatles songs on Sunday mornings. And they do that to help outsiders feel at home. I just mention that to prove to you that his church doesn't have much in common with us. But I was intrigued when I read this to read this pastor arguing for expository preaching. And arguing for it for the sake of unchurched people. 
I want to read just a little section. This is one of his five guidelines for preaching to unchurched people. The guideline is this. Pick one passage and stick with it. And then he explains. People unfamiliar with the Bible are intimidated by it. This is why I am such a proponent of focusing the message around one text. Jumping all over the Bible illustrates how smart you are. It rarely enhances an audience's understanding of or love for the scriptures. And it totally confuses non-Christians. Worse, it sets a terrible precedent for how they should read the Bible. We don't want new and non-Christians looking around the Bible for the verse that says what they are hoping it says. We want them to let the scriptures speak for themselves. Now that is fascinating to me because this brother is considered to be an authority on reaching unchurched people. And he says, actually, expository preaching is best for non-believers too. And in my experience, I've had plenty of feedback from visitors here saying the same thing. Now, of course, we all know that expository preaching can be done badly. But that is not a problem with the approach. It's a problem with the implementation of the approach. So a bad expository sermon doesn't mean we should throw out the approach. It means we should throw out the preacher, right? No, it means the preacher should get better. Now all this is to say that the approach we take to preaching in this church is not out of convenience. I can assure you it's not. There are big chunks of the Bible it is not convenient or easy to preach on. No, we do things the way we do them out of conviction. We believe this is the best way to be faithful to God's word. I realize I've spent most of my time on this point. I'm not going to spend equal time at all on the other two. But it would be a mistake for us to go away thinking that faithfulness to God's word is only about what happens in the pulpit. So briefly, I want to mention two other areas. Faithfulness to God's word also has to extend to the way the elders lead the church. It's no good having faithful preaching if the elders then go and lead in a way that denies God's word. So that's our second area, biblical leadership. The way we lead has to be faithful to God's word. For example, we have to be willing to practice church discipline on the hopefully infrequent occasions when we need to do that. A church is just unfaithful if it turns a blind eye to unrepented sin. We also have to be faithful to what the Bible teaches about men and women's roles and lots of other areas. It's not good enough to give allegiance to God's word in the pulpit We have to be faithful in the way we structure the church and run the church day to day. And then the third main area is the lives of individual believers. Because a church can have preaching that's faithful to God's word, and it can be led in a way that's faithful to God's word, 
But if the members are living like the devil, then it's not a faithful church. So each one of us has to be committed to faithfulness. If we're going to be a faithful church, we all have to be seeking to grow in our understanding of God's word and our obedience to it. Now, we may not feel that we understand very much, but we have to be committed to living out what we do understand and committed to learning more as we're able. And if we are a church that's like this, we will find God's word pushing us to care for one another. We'll find God's word pushing us to pursue growth by making disciples. We won't be able to avoid the call to those things. And then just finally, before I ask for any questions or comments that you might have, faithfulness to God's word will cost us. I said this at the 40th anniversary. And if you were there, you may remember what Paul Mallard added to that point. He said that if we are faithful to this book, if we're faithful to what's in it, we will be believing things the world around us thinks are outrageous. But, while this will cost us, I believe that faithfulness to God's word is attractive. We live in a world where so much is uncertain for people. So much seems to be relative. No one seems to believe in very much at all anymore. In that context, holding to the clarity of God's word is attractive. Some of you may know what's been going on in the Church of Scotland recently. If you don't know, just briefly, many local congregations have left the Church of Scotland in the last couple of years. And the reason for that is that the denomination has refused to be faithful to God's word, in particular over the area of homosexuality. That's just one example, but it, tends to be a, it just happens to be a prominent one. And one of the biggest churches of Scotland was St. George's Tron in Glasgow. About a year ago, they left the Church of Scotland. They believed that staying would compromise their faithfulness to God's word. And as a result of that, they had to leave their building. The Church of Scotland owns all the buildings, even though this congregation had put millions into upgrading the building, millions of their own money. They had to leave. It was a huge building in the center of Glasgow, really prime spot. They had to leave it. It's now locked up most of the time. And they had to rent some halls that were hardly big enough for them. That was just over a year ago. And at the time, many people wondered if that would be the end for the Tron. Would they just become outcasts because of their stand? Would people refuse to go near them? Well, actually, the opposite has happened. In just over a year, that church has taken in 80 new converts into membership. Those are not Christians who've come from other churches. They are new believers. They're constantly running Christianity Explored. It just keeps rolling. People keep coming. People are intrigued by these Christians who stand for something. They believe something. 
And when they come and when they hear what the Bible actually says, people are coming to Christ. And I realize that's just one story. But let's not think that faithfulness to God's word is going to hurt the cause of the gospel. We will probably suffer in some ways. But it may well be that God will bless our faithfulness in ways that we can't even imagine. And one thing is for sure, God will not bless unfaithfulness. So that's what I wanted to say, or what I had planned to say about our first core commitment as a church. And it may well be that you've questions coming out of that or comments you want to make. If you do, imagine you're sitting around coffee tables, please, and just um, either put your hand up so I can see you and repeat what you're saying or just shout it out if you have a question or a comment. Trevor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question was, expository preaching, why don't we start at page one and, and go to whatever the last page number is, Genesis to Revelation? Um, yeah, that's a good question, and um, I know people who have done that. My own feeling on it is scripture, the parts of scripture are very different, so I look on it as a, a balanced diet. For example, the Psalms, you've got poetry, you've got laws at the start, you've got letters. And I just personally think it's useful to have a, a balanced diet rather than going through five books of law and then 14, 15, 16 prophets all at once. I mean, I've seen it done and done really, really well. But I think um, when you've done a certain kind of book, I find it useful to think about well, what would be helpful to follow that with to, to give a bit of a, a balance to the diet. That's just my approach. But like I said, it's, it would work probably equally well the other way. Megan and I, when we lived in Philadelphia, we attended a church, and the pastor now has been there 30 33 years. He started it in 1981 with um, 25 people or something. They have, what, 12,000 now. What he does is he, he does that. He starts at page one over about 10 years, morning to twice a week, morning and evening. He just goes through it chapter by chapter, whatever comes next. And he's now on probably over more than his third time through doing that. And, and yeah, he was great. Uh, well, I, I counted it up, I think, at the summer. We've done maybe 23 or something so far. That's seven years. The minor prophets, some of them are so tiny, you could almost do one in a sermon. Steve did Nam in three weeks. So, um, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe another seven years. I don't know. Um, Martin?
Yeah, the point is the, uh, about the value of taking topics, and I would say, yeah, I've acknowledged that, that this is probably what we'll use in this venue, and the youth discipleship, we have been doing that by topics, taking subjects. So I'm not saying at all there's no place for that. I'm just saying the predominant, I see it as the, the predominant way to be make sure you're as faithful as possible is to let the Bible set the agenda for us. But that doesn't rule out in certain settings responding to questions. And in terms of what you said about Paul, I think actually that, that was his approach to systematically, I mean, if you look at um, Thessalonica, Berea, and even in, in the passage you mentioned, Acts 17, he starts at Genesis. And usually he's in a place for months, or even in some cases several years, and we're told he would hire a hall, and every afternoon he would talk to people for a couple of years. And his approach, it seems from the the wording, was to go through all the scriptures, proving to them that Jesus was the Christ. And you find that all the way through Acts. And so actually, I think when when Paul was in a situation, yeah, he, he tailored what he was saying to his audience, but his approach was, let's go through the sweep of the Bible and explain it. That seems to be what his approach was. Yeah, that's a really good question. Is this useful also for our own personal Bible reading? I know there are 101 different ways of approaching that, and we can all just be honest and say some parts of the Bible are very, very difficult to read by yourself and to get through. But I do think that there's, there's great value in that because, as I tried to say earlier, you get a sense by reading the whole Bible of what the Bible actually emphasizes. Because we can go to the Bible looking for our particular area of interest, and we can get a lot of things out of that, but we might miss what the Bible is actually stressing. And I think if you do that regularly, try to get work through the Bible, you get a sense of God's priorities is basically what I was trying to say. And there are several very helpful things that I could recommend if you wanted to ask me about um, not just giving you a plan to read the Bible, but a little bit of help, especially with the, the really difficult, like the book of Numbers, where there's a lot of repetition. I don't think you need to dwell on every repeated sacrifice that was brought, but if you work your way through it, it does give you a sense of what was going on. And so much of the New Testament assumes you kind of understand a bit of the old. Any other comments, questions? I would say, too, if you're trying to read through the Bible, don't beat yourself over the head about trying to do it in a certain time period. Try to do it consistently, but don't think you have to do it in a year. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you need to read it once a year. It's good, but that most people flag when they try that. You could do it in two years. I think the, the key thing is finding a time to do it consistently and, and doing it. It doesn't matter if you even read a whole chapter every time.
John? Yeah, the point was just about the, the importance of having an overview of the Bible, the big picture or the big story, rather than just knowing little, very familiar bits of it. And I know one pastor who preached 66 sermons, one sermon on each book. He turned it into a couple of books. Yeah, so I hope you, you get a sense there is, there's plenty of room for variety and, and everyone has their own style and everything, but it's, the general point is let's look at the whole Bible, not just our favorite bits or the easy bits or the bits that seem to be most relevant because often God can use what seems like an obscure part of Scripture to speak very directly to, to something that's going on. And there are probably two things about that. Um, one is, I wouldn't really expect that everybody is going to get everything, or in fact, anybody is going to get everything out of every sermon. No matter how good the preacher is, God will maybe speak to us on one specific thing that sticks with us. And the other thing is, preachers always need to get, I say this to myself, preachers always need to be realizing their need to improve and get better and get clearer. So that's a, that's a constant given that, yeah, it can always be done better than it has been done. The back, yeah. Yeah, thank you. The, the, the comment is about the use of commentaries for ordinary Christians. Yeah, I think that's really good. And the key thing is picking the right kind of one. If you pick the wrong kind, 
you're going to be in despair. But if you, if you pick, there are some really great series. There's a series called The Bible Speaks Today. There's another one published by Christian Focus. And I, I can't remember the title, but um, again, I could, I could give you that. They're written by pastors, and they're, they're done very clearly and helpful for everybody, actually. And, um, and the, the resource I was thinking of earlier was a couple of volumes called For the Love of God, which just gives you one page on a couple of chapters, and it works through the whole Bible. So yes, getting those kind of things are, are really useful for, for obscure parts of the Bible to have them simply explained. But that's just the way it is. I guess every church in the world doesn't have everybody at everything. And so in one sense, that's why you, we do more than one thing, because we realize for whatever reason some people can't be there. Uh, yeah. But, but I think that's just, wherever you go, that's just the way things are, that everyone isn't going to be there every time you're opening the doors. Yeah, the comment was if we did what we did in the evenings and looked at it in the home groups, yeah, there's, I think that's valuable. I guess the one argument would be if, if half the people at the home group weren't there to hear the sermon, they, they might not know where you're starting from. But I think picking up on what we do on Sundays and talking about them in a home group is useful whatever way we do it. Yeah, and just to repeat again something I said earlier, no one's going to remember very much in, in a month's time from what they, they heard a month ago, but I think over two, three, four, five, six years, if, if you're working your way through the Bible, you might not remember any particular individual sermon, but you will start to get a sense of what seems to be rising to the surface most often. And I think those things do stick with us the things that the Bible emphasizes again and again and again, we'll finally start to grab onto those. And the, the minor things that the Bible 
passes over, well, we'll probably focus less on those, which is sometimes a good thing. I'm guessing everyone else is hungry. It's not just Isaac at this point. Do you have any other things, questions, or comments? Well, let me pray, and then we can go and enjoy the food next door. Father, we thank you.